Welcome. I'm glad to see you today. I want to welcome you to this service, and we want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. We're glad to have you as well. Now, I've got a question to ask you as we get started today, and this is the question. How many of you flossed this week? See, now, those of you who weren't here last week, you're going, what's he talking about, right? And those of you who were, you immediately, you picked up on that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, find somebody who was here last week. Ask them what that was about because you're, like, confused today. Floss, really? He's asking me about that? Now, how many of you know what yesterday was? It was what? Yes, it was. Saturday comes before Sunday. That's good. Any more descriptive things about yesterday? It was the ninth, and it was my birthday, but that's not really what I'm going for. Yes, it was my birthday, but here's the thing. Friday, I read in USA Today for the weekend, I read that February the 9th was fall off the wagon day. Did you know that? Did you, how many heard that? Fall off, and I was insulted, really, because they picked my birthday. Fall off the wagon day, it means that, you know, people in January when they say, okay, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to start exercising now, and they start in January, that's how far they make it till February 9th, and they fall off the wagon. That's what they're saying. Not only that, but then they also start eating fast food again on my birthday. I don't know. So there you have it. Who knew that happened? Well, you know, it said that that, there, that was talking about some stopping something. We, you know, there's different things you can stop, but there's things you need to keep doing. And we're going to talk about stopping today. Some things you don't need to stop, do you? Last week we talked about starting, right? And some of you started to floss then, and you've been working on it ever since, right? And, and uh, this week we're going to talk about stopping. So I want us to look at that together. Now, do you remember a long time ago, this will date me, but there used to be a commercial on TV about tombstone pizza. And it says, what do you want on your tombstone, right? And then you would pick different pizza ingredients. Well, what do you want on your tombstone? What do you want said at your funeral? Think about that for a minute. You know, I was a philosophy major in college. I actually had a religion and philosophy major with a minor in psychology. When you go to college as long as I did, you can have a triple major. It's easy, okay? So what do you want people to say at your funeral? Have you ever thought about that? That's an uplifting thought today. Let's just talk about your death, okay? What do you want people to say at your funeral? You know what I've come up with? I've decided that this is the thing I want them to say at my funeral. Are you ready? Hey, wait a minute. I think he's still breathing. <laughs> now, at funerals, people expect you to say something nice about the person who's deceased, don't they? And, you know, I heard about a man who went to the preacher, his preacher, and he said, listen, my brother died. And, and I want you to preach his funeral. And if you will say at my brother's funeral that he was a saint, I'll give your church a million dollars. Well, everybody in town knew that his brother Pete was not a saint. He was a terrible guy. He did a lot of bad things. He cheated on his wife. He cheated on his taxes. He cheated in business every day. And everybody knew it. And the preacher thought about it for a minute. And he said, okay, I'll do it. So they had the funeral. And the preacher got up to preach the funeral. And he said, you know, we're here today to remember Pete, and everybody knows that he was a rounder. He, he cheated on his wife. He cheated on his taxes. He cheated in business every day. But compared to his brother, <laughs> I 
He was a saint. That's right. See, people write their own funerals by the lives that they live. And the things that remark or reflected are resolutions people made earlier in life. You know, it's the decisions we make today are the stories we tell tomorrow. So Andy Stanley, a minister in Atlanta, has written a book, and it's called The Principle of the Path. And in that book, he says this, Direction, not intention, determines destination. What's he talking about? He's saying it's not our intentions that will determine what we do in life because we have a lot of intentions. It's what we actually do. It's what we actually put into progress and process that we actually accomplish. That will say who we are and what we've done in life. So I want to ask yourself this, this question this morning. If you continue in the direction you're going right now, what story will your life tell? What will be your witness? How will people remember you when you're gone? How can you have a story worth telling about your life? Now, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were to let Jesus be the author of our lives and all that we do? So today, we're going to talk about stopping. Last week, we talked about starting. Next week, we will talk about staying, and the fourth final week, we will talk about going. So let's begin by looking at what we can stop. We need to stop whatever is interrupting our story. You see, we're telling a story today. We don't know it, but it's going to be told about our lives later on. So what do we need to stop today that's interrupting our story? Now, I'm going to tell you a personal story, and you've heard me talk about serving a new church in Navarre, but I want to talk about that for a minute because there are some things I learned when I was there. In 1986, I was appointed to that church, and we had one little tiny building, and that's where we had worship, and that's where we had our offices, and that's where we had Sunday school, and that's where we had our nursery. Everything was contained in that one little tiny building. And if we had 50 people in worship in this new church, that was a big crowd. And then... I preached every sermon that was preached, and I prayed every prayer that was prayed back then. I made every announcement. I met with every committee, and if anybody got sick, I was the one who went to visit them in the hospital. It was just me. I did everything back then. But as the church grew, the attendance grew, and then I found it difficult to keep up with that schedule because there were more people and more responsibilities for me to do. Somebody gave me a book by Lyle Schaller entitled Looking in the Mirror. And in that book, he talks about the 200 barrier. Are you familiar with the 200 barrier? It says that churches that reach 200 to 250 on Sunday morning plateau at that level in attendance. Many churches don't grow beyond that level. In fact, 85% of the churches that start out grow to about 200 or 250 on Sunday morning for average attendance, and they stop at that one place there. Also, it said that once the church grows beyond 200, that for every 100 people who come to the church, you need to add a new staff member because you can only take care of about 200 people. So, knowing that and knowing the 200 barrier, I looked at the reason that you have the 200 barrier, and this is it. In the 200-barrier church, the church expects the minister to do everything. And so it can only grow so large. And churches have personalities. And they choose to do this. They don't all know that, but that's what happens. 
Now, here's what happens. If you want to grow beyond that, you have to have a paradigm shift. And the church comes together and says, we want to help you do the work. Because the Great Commission says that everybody's supposed to be a part of winning people to Christ and making disciples. Look at the person next to you. Point your finger at them and say, you are the church. Go ahead and do that right now. You didn't sound very enthusiastic about that. Now point your finger back at them and say, amen. Go ahead and do that right now. That was a little bit better there. See, don't you like telling them they're the church? Then you don't have to be. But wait, they're pointing their finger back at you, right? And so that's the point. And, and, you know, churches make those decisions. And that's really what the church is. It's the people, you know. You know that, that old thing of the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. That's it. I mean, children know how to do it. And so that's what we need to be able to do as well. Now, here's what happened. The church grew to about 1,700 members, and it grew to over 700 in attendance. And over 20 years, we had over 2,000 people join the church, okay? But here's what happened. We came up against something called the 800 barrier. Have you ever heard of the 800 barrier? Well, 1% of the churches in America grow beyond the 800 barrier. In other words, 800 people in worship average attendance on Sunday morning. Most of them don't get beyond that. We had some built-in challenges in the bar. We were seven miles from Hurlburt Air Force Base. The military people were there for five years, and they weren't there when they were there. They were special ops. So these guys were gone all over the country, and their wives and kids came to church, you know. And we would see them occasionally. We had to watch the news to find out where they were. Navarre was not incorporated. It only had real estate. It had tourism, and it had the military. And so there were no businesses there. These people would leave after five years. And the general wouldn't let me tell them which one should leave and which one should stay. He was just funny that way. I don't know why he wouldn't let me run the military. But, you know, it was a challenge because I learned during that time that you had to disciple people quickly. And, you know, I had been doing it for years. And I read where you, a person who's far from God, it takes them five to seven years to become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ if they were far from God. And I said, well, duh. I could have told you that because I was watching them. You know, I had to speed up the process so we would see it happen in five years and they might become a fully devoted disciple. Now, here's what they did. They went out all over the world to serve in the military. When they would go overseas, they would say, if you go to Hurlburt, go to Navarre Methodist Church. When they came back to Hurlburt, they would come back to Navarre United Methodist Church. And that's why it's important for me to stay there 20 years because there was not a lot of continuity there. Well, the bottom line is I had to learn to delegate. Every time the church changed and went to the next level, I had to change. I had to be a different person. I had to learn what it was like to be a pastor of a church that size, and I had to learn to do that quickly. And so I, as I did that, I carried that along with me. Now, you can ask the staff today, I have learned how to delegate. You can ask the lay people in the church. Yeah, he's got that down, that delegating thing. He's really good at that. See, what I had to learn was to trust God and to trust the people and ask the people to trust God and to trust me and the staff. And then you just turn people loose and let them do their ministry. 
That's really what the church is. It really is the people. And God called us all to work together. Now that was true in the days of the Bible, and it's true today. Now maybe you're here today and you're a single parent. Or maybe you're here today and you have a draining job. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I tell you, I've just got too much going on. I don't know what to do in my life. Maybe you're here today and you're a full-time student and you're working full-time and you're just trying to make it. And every day is a challenge, right? Well, I want to look at somebody in the Old Testament who had some of those kinds of challenges. He had too much to do and he didn't really know how to do it. You see, Moses was the one that God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity to the promised land. And Moses related, if you're stressed out today and overworked, you've got too much going on. He knew what that was all about because he was trying to meet the needs of all these people who were following him. The Bible says that his father-in-law Jethro came to him and he said, you're going to have to stop doing all this. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. You see, he's getting his attention right away. And he's telling him the truth. He's speaking the truth in love. Now, let me ask you a question. What if God speaks that message to you today? What if he's whispering in your ear, what you're doing is not good? There's something in your life you need to stop, maybe to start something else, or maybe just to not do as much in order to tell the story in the future that I have for you to tell. See, we wouldn't be talking about Moses today in this way if he didn't listen to his father-in-law. Because he listened to his father-in-law, his story is much more valuable. So what do you need to stop today in order to accomplish what you want to do tomorrow? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I know what it is in my life. It's a habit. It's a habit that I need to break and I'm struggling with it. Or maybe it's a mindset. Maybe you just look at things and you're kind of closed-minded and, and you don't even give people a chance sometimes. Or maybe you have an addiction and you've struggled with it for years and you need help. Or maybe it's your attitude. Maybe you've got a bad attitude and maybe you've had it for a long time and you don't even realize it anymore. Or maybe it's just the way you process things, the way you think things through. And, and you're struggling when you make decisions to think in, in, in appropriate ways. Well, in verse 18 and 19, Jethro says, You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You know, that's a great blessing. When somebody who loves you comes to you, and they've got a word for you, and they're just going to speak love into your life, they speak the truth in love, that's a time to really tune in and listen and not be defensive and say, now, Lord, what do you want to say to me through this person? And so Moses heard, Moses, you've got to change. Here's the game plan. You need to choose some people, surround yourself with capable leaders, and you need to train them to handle all these disputes. In fact, you need to get some people and put a 1,000 people under them, and they can handle that job. Some, give them 100. Give some 50 and give some 10 and delegate that, and then you handle the difficult or the important decisions yourself. And it goes on to say, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God, as God so commands and you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. And Moses said, you don't know what you're talking about. Is that what he said? 
He said, no. He listened to his father-in-law. He did everything he said. Don't you love that? Just being faithful and obedient. God, God, if you'll just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Just tell me. You know, help me listen. Help me be a better listener. Speak to me. Moses actually stopped trying to do everything, which brought him to a place where he had a story to tell later in his life. We're still talking about it today. Think of the one thing that you're doing that's not good. Commit it to God and ask Him to help you stop. I want to give you a couple of reasons why you should do that. First, you don't know what you're missing until you stop. You know, you're just doing life and you don't even realize what's going on in your life. And then you stop and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, I've got peace in my life. Wait, wait a minute, I've got margin in my life. I, I'm able to accomplish the things I'm trying to do now. I'm not just going 90 miles an hour all the time. You know, I'm able to rest a little bit and take a break. I learned something years ago during the fall of the year. I was always so busy. And I was just going from August all the way to Christmas. And it was just a marathon and I was running full speed. And one September, Laura's aunt died and we had to drive back to Tennessee to go to the funeral. And so we had to be away for a few days. And as we were driving through South Alabama, I looked out in those fields out there. And I said to Laura, what is that growing out there in the fields? And you know what she said? Cotton. That's cotton, you moron. No, she said, that's cotton. That's cotton growing in the fields. And I said, well, how come I've never seen that before here? And she said, because we've never been through here at this time of the year before. And it occurred to me she was right. And, you know, that led to something. Uh, we went on to the funeral. We came back. But I began to take some little breaks in the fall that would be beneficial to me. Little times, just quick times, that I might have a little break. It might not be just a day or two. But I just said, you know, it's really, really busy right now. I've got all the nominations and charge conference and all that stuff. And I'm going to take a little time off. And so I did that. I had a buddy in the church who had a helicopter. He was a pilot in Vietnam. He would go in and get the wounded. He had the helicopter behind his office and, and he would take me up in his helicopter and so sometimes when I was really stressed out I would just call him and I would say you really need to go flying today Bill and just to show you what kind of pastor I am I'm going to go with you because that's just the kind of guy I am and he would laugh he would say come on let's go and we would get in the helicopter and we would just float up in the air above the trees and I would just feel that stress fall off of me so if any of you have a helicopter I'm not limited to the fall of the year. I love to fly anytime. You know, I've been in planes too, and I've had, I've had stunt pilots in my church before who've taken me up flying, and, and I got vertigo. That's a whole different sermon, okay? But here's the deal. You take a little break. You get away. It's a blessing. And so, you know, you can see your life is more ordered than it was. See, you don't know what you're missing until you stop doing what you're just doing all the time. Now, second, you don't know what it will cost you if you don't, if you don't stop, if you're doing something that's not good, you're just doing it. You're just going, 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 and you have no idea what could happen in your life. Think about what could have happened to Moses. Think about the story we'd talk about today if Moses hadn't taken care of himself, if he hadn't listened to his father-in-law. We see it all the time today. What happened to him? Well, he had a nervous breakdown. What happened to him? Well, he had a heart attack. What happened to him? Well, he got mad at God and he just quit. He walked away. 
And so there's something that's not good in your life. How can you change the direction of your story right now? Some of us may need to quit overeating, especially on fall off the wagon day. I mean, can you imagine? Some of us may just need to stop ignoring our bodies or we need to stop smoking. We've tried. Maybe we're abusing our bodies in some way. Maybe, you know, if we don't do that, we won't be around to walk our daughters down the aisle or we won't be here to, to see our grandchildren grow up because we didn't take care of ourselves. Or maybe we'll spend the last 20 years of our lives dealing with the decisions we made earlier and our bodies are just falling apart. Maybe overspending is a problem and we need to get our budget straight. And we may have to say someday if we don't do that to our children, I'm sorry, but we can't afford to send you to this school or we can't afford to live in this house any longer. So what does God want you to want in your life? If you believe in God, chances are you're sitting there saying, okay, there's something that he's talking to me about that I need to, to listen to. There's something that I need to ask him for specifics. There's something that he wants to do in my life. Maybe you need to be more focused on your family or maybe you need to grow in your spiritual life. Maybe you need to get your finances under control and take care of your body and be involved with your children and do something that will make a difference in the world today. And then second, what does God want me to stop? What is it that God wants you to stop doing? Maybe just so you can take a break or maybe so that you could do something else. In Colossians it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? It says do everything in His name. Now it doesn't say do everything. It says what you do, do it well. Did you know that when Adam and Eve were in the garden it was not a, not a burden for them to work? That was before the fall. They worked in the garden. They kept and cultivated the garden. Why? So at the end of the day, they could sit back and say, I did that. And they would have satisfaction. Can you imagine having a life that had no purpose? If you don't have purpose in your life, that's terrible. That's no way to live life. I, I got buddies who retired early in life. And they were business people and they were partners and they did really well in their businesses. And so they retired. And they came to me after a few years, and they said, you can only go to the mall and play golf so many days a week. And they had to go back to work. They said, we got to go back to work. And their wives said, they got to go back to work. <laughs> Get them out of the house. They're driving me crazy. You know, because you got to have a purpose in life. Well, Moses had to learn to delegate, just like I had to learn to delegate. Now, some of you may need to stop with a bad attitude or stop worrying. Or, you know, we beat ourselves up. Some of you may have negative self-talk and you need to change maybe you're a slave to social media you know who you are maybe you're a control freak or maybe you're critical and judgmental or maybe you need to stop smoking or stop drinking maybe you need to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend yeah maybe you need to stop overspending or eating junk food or stop blaming God for something you think God didn't do or get over a hurt that you've been carrying with you all your life. And you're just carrying a grudge because of it. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, when I used to run, they said, look at the finish line. Don't look to your right. Don't look to your left. Don't wave to the people in the crowd. When you run track, man, you're just trying to get to the finish line faster than anybody else. 
And the finish line is looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, to finish strong in our lives. There's a great book called Finishing Strong. You ought to look that book up. I read it years ago, and it's a great blessing. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you and me if we're Christians. And with his help, we can stop the things we need to stop. Because you know what? We're going to have a story to tell. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Joe, I don't have a perfect story. Well, neither do I. But you know what? God is not finished with us yet. He's still working on us, isn't he? And we're going to have a story to tell. And it's not just for us, but it's for those who come after us who need to hear it because he's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's going to use us and work through us to minister and, and bless other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that by your power and by your strength that you can give us the ability, the power, the encouragement, the affirmation we need to change for the better. And we thank you in Jesus' name.